It's been a while since we've been on this airwaves due to a combination of finals and SU athletics just draining all the time out of me. But we're back. We're back big. And there's a lot to get into. Andrew Silver, how are you? I'm doing well, Liam. How are you? It's good. It's good to be back in the Ocean State. I'm not going to lie. And it's an exciting time in the sports world, particularly in the college sports world. And that's where we'll begin today. We begin with the bombshell news Thursday night or Thursday morning, I should say. Charlie Baker, the outgoing governor of Massachusetts, replacing Mark Emmert as the president of the NCAA. Let's just say the bar Baker has to fill isn't exactly what I'd call high. Baker comes in with no experience in the collegiate landscape other than playing basketball at Harvard. Andrew, when I saw this, a lot of things went through my head. Was the same true for you? Yeah, I'm not like... I wasn't ever like really expecting it. Nobody, I don't think, was like, all right, the decision's coming this week. Like, it was kind of some point over the next year, I think. But um, interesting decision, to say the least. Uh, not super shocking, if I'm going to be honest, out of the NCAA. We've kind of grown accustomed to strange decisions, but we'll see how it works out. I think the main thing here that strikes me is that it doesn't really seem like a position anyone would want to fill. And I'm hearing the guys on Massachusetts talk radio say this, but Baker is very widely liked by the population of Massachusetts. Politically speaking, if you're a Republican governor and the, your approval rate is that high, that says a lot. So he has to have that going for him. But I think another thing is he's a politician, right? He's seen, different angles of NIL. And let's be real, that is a gigantic wormhole right now that the NCAA's administrative side perhaps hasn't seen before. Yeah. So you can, in, you can sort of bring the two worlds together. And that's where I kind of see the logic in hiring him. But again, Andrew, Mark Emmer just set such a low bar. I don't think it's possible for him to be any worse. Yeah, I'm not sure it's a bad decision. I, I'm not exactly sure that hiring a politician straight out of <laughs> politics was the best decision. Yep. Um, I think that could lead to, if a decision is made, some interesting conflicts um, if people disagree with it. But like you said, it's not a job that many people want. It's a thankless job. If you do something really well at the NCAA, which to their credit, the NCAA does do a lot of things well. I don't hear anybody complaining about March Madness right now. No, no. Uh, they're not going back and running to the NCAA and praising them and thanking them for all their hard work. No. If the NCAA screws something up, well, then they're going to hear about it. Like, like when, I don't know, a lot of good examples, like the um, bowl games with COVID issues and the NC State uh, Omaha College World Series this year. All of those were things that people took exceptions to and went and blamed the NCAA. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be blamed, but there's a lot of credit that has to go to the NCAA as well because they do do a lot of things right. But it it is a thankless job. So I'm guessing that he probably wasn't their first pick and probably wasn't their last pick. And they had to go that. To but another thing, Andrew, we talked about all the credit the NCAA has given, but you talked about two serious cases of backlash. Another one I'm going to bring up, the March Madness bubbles in 2021, the disparity in them was frankly unacceptable. And 
can't be had again. So it'll be interesting to see how Baker navigates those waters. And in a time where the college football playoff may be expanding at the snap of a finger from four to 12, like that's absolutely ridiculous. And Baker's going to have a whole lot on his plate if he gets negative backlash. Yeah, good news for him is he doesn't have to worry too much about the college football playoff because that's ultimately under the college football playoff committee a lot more than it is under that him. Is true. Um, but, yeah, I, there were definitely some interesting decisions that went on under Emmert. Um, we'll see how things go. I'm sure that he's going to receive heat at some point for some decision. You can't really – head the NCAA and not make a mistake at some point along your route. You just hope it's not as big or as meaningful a mistake as we've seen over the past few years. And you hope that when big decisions come, they make right decisions because everybody's kind of grown accustomed to just expecting the NCAA to do wrong. That we have. Hopefully we see some change under Baker. The college football playoff was selected two weeks ago now. Yep. And the four are Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and Ohio State. Both the Horn Frogs and Buckeyes have one loss. TCU's came on championship weekend. Ohio State's came to Michigan. It took Kansas State overtime to beat the Horn Frogs. Andrew, did the committee get it right? Yes, they did. Pretty easily got it right. Um, if you're a college football fan, Maybe not. Maybe you wanted that Georgia-Alabama matchup and the Michigan-Ohio State matchup, but that's not what deserved to happen. I know Alabama lost two close games. I know that they almost won both of those games and very easily could have been undefeated. But you can't just take TCU out of the playoff for only losing once and that loss being an overtime Big 12 title game once. Now, can you take USC? Yes, because they have two losses, both to Utah, and got worse, evidently, as the season progressed against Utah. So they got it right. Um, It it, it looks like like this season almost proves that they should have a two-team playoff again because (laughs) we've we've had that a lot recently, like, there's clearly two better teams that deserve to be in than anybody else. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And that's the point I was going to hit on. Like, this feels like the weakest college football playoff in Andrew really a long time. I mean, I wouldn't say that. I, I wouldn't be shocked if Ohio State kept it close with Georgia. Neither would I, but I still don't see them win that game. And I think TC was going to get bombasted by Michigan a few weeks from now. Yes, I think the TCU-Michigan game will be more of a blowout than the Georgia-Ohio State game. Yeah, that's not to say the Horned Frogs don't have a shot, but if, if if the Wolverines are playing at their highest level, especially if Blake Corum is healthy, oh, man, we're just going to run all over them. And that's what people have been saying. Like, Alabama's not going to get their bejesus beaten off of them. I don't care. You lost two games. Shut your trap and live with it. You've been to – I don't know, seven of the nine eligible college football playoffs since they were introduced? Yeah. Alabama is a top four team. I'm not going to, like, disagree with that. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily, and we've seen this over the course of the past few years, it doesn't mean that if you're a top four team, you deserve to be in. Right. You have to win the football games to get yourself into the playoff. And they didn't do that this year. And so they have to – they don't deserve to be in. But – yeah, I, we'll see how the playoff goes down. I'm not too sure 
TCU is going to get it done. Even though Blake Corum is out, it's going to be Donovan Edwards at running back, but that doesn't really matter. It doesn't make Michigan a big difference. Proved, yeah, Michigan proved that in the Big Ten championship game and against Ohio State. It's all about that offensive line, not about the actual running back. And uh, chances are Michigan's going to run all over the Horn Frogs. But that being said, I still don't see Michigan competing with Georgia. I think the Dogs will win both games by double digits. They heard it, folks. All right. We'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the other college football bowl games occurring over the next few weeks. The Fenway Bowl is being played as we record this between Cincinnati and Louisville. And elsewhere but now, I see this coming Monday, Marshall and UConn down in Myrtle Beach. That should be fun. Marshall yep. minus 11 is a bit of a disrespectful line to a, to the Huskies, but that's neither here nor there. But after the new year, you've got Penn State and Utah in the Rose Bowl, Tulane, USC in the Cotton Bowl. Andrew, what sticks out here? Uh, one of the things that caught my eye was the fact that both um, all the stars for Alabama are playing. Bryce Young's going to play. Um, I think that's big. I think Kansas State's going to get run out of the building. That's good. Uh, but I like to see that. And that it's become very, very consistent over the past few years that if you're not in the playoff and you're a top 10 team, your top players aren't playing if they're draft eligible. But Will Anderson going to start. Bryce Young going to start. Alabama going to win by 20. But it, it's really cool to see that as the number five team, a team that just missed out on the playoff, to see those guys still going to play for their team. You hope they don't get hurt. Um, yeah. We saw that uh, with Matt Corral with Ole Miss last yeah. season. Um, went and down Waddle a, a few years ago, too, almost re-aggravated that ankle. So you hope they don't get hurt, but you really like to see that. Um, a couple other games that stand out. I'm interested to see how Tulane fares against USC. That'll be an interesting game. We'll see if Caleb, uh, Caleb Williams plays. Um, probably not, even though he's not draft eligible. He is still a little bit injured. Um, Tulane had a heck of a season. Um, we'll see if they can cap it off in the Cotton Bowl. That's one that will be a fun game. I think the Rose Bowl will be another great game. Last year, you got that shootout between Utah and Penn and uh, Ohio State. This year, you got Utah-Penn State. I think that gives Utah a little bit more of a shot to win. I hope they win because they deserve it. They've put together two impressive back-to-back years, gotten to the Rose Bowl for the first and second time in school history. So I'm cheering for Utah in that one. Um, the Orange Bowl will be fun. Battle oh, yeah. Orange. Two Orange schools. Uh, do you think Syracuse beats Minnesota in the pinch draft? No, I think Syracuse will probably get beat by two, three touchdowns. I was um, thinking two. I was thinking two. They're just, Syracuse isn't healthy enough. Um, it's, not about, it's not about this team collapsed and this team wasn't that good. This team was good. This team healthy was an eight and five. Nine and four, ten and three team. They they just got so banged up, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And the offense was never elite. It was all relying on that defense. And they uh, from game one, Stephon Thompson went down, and it just parachuted downhill from there. And they never could get guys back healthy. And they've lost a number of key players. So, no, I, I think Minnesota will have success running the football. As do I. And I think Minnesota wins that one pretty easily. 
That's what I was going to get into. Minnesota's strengths play against the Orange's weaknesses. Run defense, Muhammad Ibrahim, the stud in the backfield for the Golden Gophers. They're not a passing team. Credit to Tanner Morgan, not a passing quarterback. Muhammad Ibrahim has over nearly 1,600 yards on the ground, and we've seen running backs tear SU's defense to shreds, really, ever since the ever since Will Shipley did it all the way back in the middle of October. So you don't have that going for you. It's hard to say that's good news. Elsewhere, up and down the line, like highlighting some of the lesser bowl games, uh, Rice and Southern Miss, the five and seven Owls, my, the school both my parents used to work at. Hard to not keep an eye on I'm going to be honest, that's, un- that's unacceptable that Army's not in the bowl game. Are the they five and seven? No, they're six and six. Yeah, that, uh, that, that's pretty good. They were five and six going into the into the Army-Navy game, and the Army-Navy game these days can't count towards bowl eligibility because it is played after the bowl games are announced. But we still went ahead and put a five and seven rice team in. That, 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 that makes no sense. I agree with you. And if it has to cost the Owls their spot, you know. So be elsewhere, Middle Tennessee, San Diego State getting to play the Christmas Eve Classic in the Hawaii Bowl. I mean, hard to not be jealous playing a football game. Down on the island, shout out Matt Fairfax. Elsewhere, you have Oregon against an underachieving North Carolina team in the Holiday Bowl. That's going to be interesting. Clemson, Tennessee, like you mentioned, two orange schools going at it in the Orange Bowl. Yeah. What's not to love about that? <laughs> then Notre Dame, South Carolina, the Gamecocks just took down Clemson. The Irish have had probably the most disappointing season in their recent program history. Hard to not be interested into that but yeah one more i'm interested in is baylor baylor versus air force um and the armed forces bowl they were a tough season coming off that um win in the big 12 title game last year and they go six and six and they're taking on a good air force team uh that should be a really fun bowl game to watch two contrasting styles especially go air force here we go all right Let's move into the world of college basketball really quickly. There's there's a lot to dissect, Andrew. There really is. Everywhere you look, I mean, the one word that comes to mind is chaos. You know, Purdue, the number one team in the country, UVA, number two, UConn, number three. What sticks out to you from this? One thing I'll hit on first, we needed to pump the brakes on North Carolina. They They made that run to the national championship last year. All credit to them. They bring all their players back. They come in as the preseason number one, and they flop. They flop. I have no reason to believe that they won't be back in that stage, though. I still think they're that good. All right. I went and watched them actually in person this past weekend play against Georgia Tech, and it's still a pretty young team. Yes, they have Baycott. Yes, they have that experience, but I think – I would be shocked if, A, they don't make the NCAA tournament, and, oh, B, when they make the NCAA tournament. tournament, if they're not playing their best basketball. I think that that's another t- – it's still a UNC team that I right now will pick to make the Sweet 16 at least. They're making the NCAA tournament. I mean, yeah. especially in an ACC that, frankly, yeah. is billing. Frankly, I don't see any legit teams outside of Durham, North Carolina. Virginia. Yep, just those two, maybe Miami, but that's kind of that's kind of pushing the pedal a little bit there. It's a middling oh Virginia Tech too. They are also ranked. It's yeah. a middling ACC, and you know 
Beheim comes on and rips the Big Ten at his media day press conference. The ACC has all the criteria to be ripped on right now because the Blue Bloods just aren't playing the way they normally play. Yeah. I want to talk about Purdue for a second here. Number one team in the country in school. They lose to St. Peter's last year. Do they sort of give off the maybe even UVA vibes from a few years ago? Wouldn't go that far, but talk to Jacob Morris and you'll know this is an early exit Purdue team like always. Um, (laughs) I I said they're going to lose to St. John's in the first round. We'll see about that. They might be a little too good to play St. John's in the first round. St. John's Uh, might be too good to play them. Well, yeah, both of those things might be true. But uh, just look at the most recent performance. Went to overtime against Nebraska. Like, that's just a, no, no, it's not. They're <laughs> six and five and twelfth in the Big Ten, Liam. That's not a good. That's not a good Nebraska team. That's a Nebraska team that's lost every game that's been against a good team, except for Creighton, who's probably not a good team. No, um, lost to St. John's too, um, by twenty. Um, but I, I don't know. Purdue's good. Edie's really good. Like, you can't really defend him, but – and he, he gets every rebound. Yeah, even if you double-team him, he'll kick it out. They have good shooters. It's a classic Purdue team with a really good big guy down low and some shooters on the wings. It's right. classic Matt Painter offense. Feed the post, get looks in there. If the double-team comes, well, there's your open three, and you, you'll usually knock it down. But for some reason, that – almost never has worked for him in the NCAA tournament, excluding that one trip to the Elite Eight and the uh, overtime, loss. Here. Yeah, overtime loss to Virginia, um, where they almost won in regulation if it weren't for that Diakite D- uh, floater. That was crazy. That was crazy. Um, it was, but it just hasn't seemed to work in the in the tournament. And so, Yes, they're 10-0. Yes, they've performed about as well as a team can perform in their first 10 games. But it's going to take a lot to sell me on a Purdue team that's struggled consistently in the playoffs. We'll see. I th- this is one of the best, if not the best, Purdue team I've seen. But still, you never know. It it takes a really special group to win a, win a March Madness tournament. That it does. And I think the overarching narrative here for – not just Purdue, but UVA, UConn, teams that were forecasted to be good, but not this good. You're off to a wicked good start, but pump the brakes out. You've got a few months till Selection Sunday. Keep it up now that you're not playing the Little Sisters of the Poor in non-conference play. Yeah, I mean, yes, Purdue's 10-0, but they're going to lose still like four or five Big Ten games, I bet. The Big Ten's the Big Ten's that good and that much of a beatdown in there. Like, you, you're going to look like they almost lost to Nebraska. What's going to happen when they have to play Michigan State two times and have to play every good team in the Big Ten at least once? Like, it's arguably the best conference in college basketball. Yes, you got to give the Big 12 an argument there. but And the SEC has grown a lot recently. Yeah. I give a lot of credit to the SEC. That's been – the most impressive conference over the past five years. While the ACC has started to plummet, the SEC taking its place, Alabama been 
fantastic to start this season. And then you add in the perennial power of Kentucky, and then you look at Tennessee, who's a team that's jumped up there as well. Yep. Everywhere you look in the college basketball landscape, storylines uh, plenty. Let's move into baseball. A lot of free agents have flown off the board, and I'm not necessarily happy about a few of them. We'll start with the big gun. Aaron Judge sides with the Yankees for nine years, $360 million. We've heard stories come out over the past few weeks, like he helped yeah. us with, with Hal Steinbrenner. He asked, do you want to be a Yankee? Judge is like, yes, but I need a ninth year. Hal gives it to him. It's a done deal. So yeah. he said he's been going around saying to him that his legacy is more important than money, which, you know, is a discussion you can get into. But, Andrew, the Yankees, had they not been able to bring back Aaron Judge, I don't think they would have made the playoffs. Uh, I don't know about that. But the, the fan base would have been in shambles, I can tell you that much. It's a fan base that expects a lot and a fan base that when they don't get what they want, they're not happy. And so uh, it, it's a fan base that would have been in shambles if they didn't get Aaron Judge. They, they were in shambles for the 10 minutes of existence that he was projected to be a giant. Yeah. Uh, there are some Yankee fans not super happy about that. those eighth and ninth years. It's just so – Baseball contracts recently have gotten so strange. It's all about how well you perform before your free agent year. Yeah. Right? Like, Dansby Swanson was not a fantastic shortstop bar the last year and a half. And all of a sudden, now he's a top five shortstop in the league. Like, and he's going to get paid like it probably. So, yes. it's, it's that kind of thing where it's all about it, – like, we can forget what you did two, three, four years ago, as long as you have a good year in that year before free agency, you're going to get paid. And chances are you're not going to repeat those nine years. So right. it, it's interesting. I I think that everybody, for the most part, not everybody. I think a lot of guys are getting overpaid if they perform, if they perform better than usual in the year before, and a lot of guys are getting underpaid if they have one bad year. Right. So – like, yes, I, I would argue that that's an overpayment because I don't think Judge will have another year quite like last season. I, I You'd be hard-pressed to find someone who does. And this kind of, sorry, this kind of stems back to the Trey Turner deal. And we'll get into that and what it means for the Phillies in a minute. But 11 years, $300 million, that just reshaped the market. And we've seen it with Bogarts. We'll get into him in a minute. We've seen it with Correa even. And we're going to see it with Dansby Swanson, too. Now, back to Judge. Like, first of all, John Heyman just lost all of his credibility. That's – you find yourself at a loss for words talking about it over two weeks later now. Yeah. thing about it that's like – or, no, it's one week down, I should say. I apologize. $40 million per year, most ever for a hitter. What would the Yankees be without him? Because – down the yeah. stretch of the season, Aaron Judge just car essentially carried that roster. They were non-existent without him. Yeah. I, but it's the kind of thing where if that's the case again this year, I'm not sure he'll do the same. And he didn't really do it in the playoffs. Right. Like the Yankees were not good in the playoffs. No, they weren't. And neither was Aaron Judge. He, couldn't, he didn't hit very much, and nobody else was hitting – before that, so like, 
obviously they had some good pitching, but this the Yankees clubhouse does not ring like togetherness and like championship type no. vibes to me. Like, yes, you have to have all this, not all the stars, but you have to have stars if you want to win a World Series right now. But at the same time, you have to have a locker room that is cohesive and is enjoying stuff and wants to go out there and play every day and plays with a kind of energy and swagger that it takes to get it done in the playoffs. And right now, I just haven't seen that from the Yankees. Yes, Aaron Judge is a good player, but I just – it feels like they got just like a mixed bag of uh, guys that don't fit too well. Right. Speaking of baseball players, don't get me wrong, but it's just kind of a mixed bag that doesn't seem to be bringing in too much success. I think that's a great way to put it. Speaking of lack of cohesion in the locker room, just imagine what the Boston Red Sox are feeling right now after losing their shortstop and unofficial captain Xander Bogarts on an 11-year, $280 million deal to the San Diego Padres. Yeah. Andrew, I am furious. I think the decision to let Bogarts walk or not give him a fair salary because the highest we've heard Boston going was what? 130, 140, 150. They were over $100 million off from what San Diego offered them. And if they had just given him a fair deal and not given him four years, 90 million after paying Trevor Story in the offseason. That's a mad Red Sox fan right there, everybody. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, The decision or this whole scenario is a bigger failure than the Mookie Betts trade. Because with Mookie, you lost your best player and didn't get enough value in exchange for him. Sure, you got Verdugo, you got Jeter Downs, who's no longer a member of the organization, and you have Connor Wong, who's probably going to be a big league catcher. With Bogarts, you lost your heart and soul for nothing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It feels like the Red Sox have almost hit a rebuild. Um, And that's kind of crazy to think because it's a team that won a World Series not too long ago. Four years. Yeah. It feels like they've kind of hit a rebuilding stage and – They've let a lot of their good pieces go, and this was another one of them. And we'll see. It's not a playoff team to me this season. God no. And it's probably not next season. Um, I remember when in Atlanta, eight, ten years ago, traded away all their big players except for Freddie Freeman because Freddie Freeman was young enough to keep around. Um, they traded Andrelton Simmons. They traded the Uptons. They traded Hayward. They traded everybody good on the roster that you could think of and kept Freddie Freeman and rebuilt for four years. And then look at what they've done. So I think that's what the Red Sox have kind of hit is it's time to start working up through that farm system and start trying to get a lot of young players and see who works out um, because they've certainly not got the older experienced talent right now to make the playoffs. But that's the thing though. The farm system is mediocre at best. Yep. And this, 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 this is the Boston Red Sox we're talking about. It's not Tampa Bay. You don't need to be conserving money like Bloom used to in Tampa. Yep. And I think that's what's driving the fan base the wrong way is that the direction this club is going in is that of a small market team. 
you have the entire region of New England at the palm of your hand. What are you doing? Yeah. I, I don't know, Liam. We'll find out, though, pretty soon because it, I can almost guarantee there's still more changes to be made before that spring training roster. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And if, if they trade Devers, the fan base is going to lose it. I bet. You think they will? Sorry? You think they will? I think if they don't come to an extension before the season starts, he's traded by the deadline. Yeah, that wouldn't shock me. He's young enough where they can build around him. But we'll exactly, see. he is. But I don't know if they will. Because they haven't retained a homegrown star since... I, I don't even know. Jim Rice? Yastrzemski? Is that how yeah. long you go back? Yeah. That's a fair point. Bad, bad is the word you have to say. <laughs> Carlos Correa signed a 13-year, $350 million deal with the Giants after they struck out on Judge. And now, uh, Andrew, the thing that sticks out to me here is that so many people had – or experts had Correa going to the Dodgers. But after L.A.'s ownership gets worried about negative backlash, the, they're like – no, 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 we don't want him. Now he's playing for your arch rival for 13 years. It's crazy. Yeah, this was one of the ones that shocked me the most was how many years were on that contract. 13 years? He's playing in San Francisco till he's 41 or 42, I think. Yep. I'm not sure he's going to be playing baseball for that. But... <laughs> like, this is one of the ones that has shocked me is I I can understand if you were say you were I don't know made up scenario but like say you were Atlanta and you had a Cunha at age 24 or you give him 13 years and you have him till he's 37 that would make a whole lot of sense. Oh yeah. But a what 28 29 year old Carlos Correa why like, I can understand six, seven, eight years, but 13 seems like five years too many at least. Yeah, it absolutely does. And that's how this market has sort of reshifted. Yeah. Like, Bogart's contract doesn't go up until he's in his 40s. And out of this trade term, yep. Yep. it's absolutely ridiculous. And you don't see it. Or you don't see players get to that age very often. And, no. Andrew, you can't help but wonder, is – are some of these contracts going to turn into a situation like that of Bobby Bonilla or that of Chris Davis? Or well, nobody's going to I mean, it's not going to be that long, obviously. But I would not be shocked if one or multiple of these players aren't playing till the end of those contracts. I mean, and, and by, by the time these deals expire, we're going to be in our 30s. Right. I, I think it'll be something that maybe if that happens 10, 12 years down the road, then they look at themselves and say, all right, we need to start shortening these contracts a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, it's something that once it happens a couple of times, it's what the players expect right now. And so that's what the teams have to give out. Cause if you're not willing to give it out, somebody else is. And so you're not going to get that player. So it, like there's a difference too, between like it, I'll go back to the Braves here because the Braves are doing something a little bit different than everybody else. It feels like in the MLB and that's signing their players super young and they're still unproven talents 
to long-term deals that are less money than some of them probably could make because they're signing them earlier. But they're signing all these guys to eight, nine, 10 year deals when they're 21, 22, 23 years old, not when they're 30. That's the difference here. Like Austin Riley's locked up in Atlanta till 2032, but that that's 10 years from now. And he's still 34, 35 years old. Right. Yeah. Like, that's the difference there is there's nothing wrong with a 10, 12 year deal, but there is something wrong when you're giving it to a 28 or 30 year old player. There absolutely is. And that's just the way things are these days. Let's move to Trey Turner. The last of these big free agents, at least so far, 11 years, 300 million with the Phillies. We've talked about the contracts a lot, but Andrew, you go to a team that just lost the World Series and frankly shouldn't have been there. They yeah. they got lucky. But had they run back the same roster, I don't think they would have made the playoffs this next year. Hot take. I know. They play in one of, if not the best divisions in baseball. Exactly. This which makes it which makes it difficult. But yeah, I this still think it's that a, I think it's the third best team in the division still. Um and Trey Turner is a big time addition. Like yeah. that, that's one of the more impressive signings I think I've seen where I've been like, okay, yeah, that's a good signing. I saw Trey Turner. I mean, I saw uh, Correa and I was like, yeah, I saw Bogarts. I was like, okay. Judge was kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. Right. Trey Turner was an impressive signing for Philadelphia. And he's a winner of a baseball player. He does all the little things right on the field. And for our best pros too. Yeah, he he's a he's a winner of a baseball player. That's the best word to describe him. He's stealing bases. He's getting on base. He fields at a ridiculous rate. That's a good guy that you want to have on your baseball team that the Dodgers have been lucky to have for the last handful of years, and the Phillies will really enjoy. Yeah, I mean he he's a five tool player in every sense of the world. His yeah. yep. character may not be what I'd call the best, but. On the field, he is as good a player as you can ask for. Yeah. Not great contact, doesn't really rely on the long ball like so many players do in this day and age. It's a fantastic sign. 11 years is a little, but, you know, what are you going to do? Real quick before we move on, Verlander to the Mets, DeGrom to the Rangers. What do we think? Uh, The Verlander one was a bit surprising, but, like, it's the kind of thing where they weren't going to get DeGrom, so they went out and got somebody else. And that's what the Mets do. They pay a lot of money to old superstars. Um, yep. Still got to play 162 games, and I would not be surprised if the Braves are in first place at the end of those 162 again this year. Reiner uh, are making over $85 million together per year. Yeah, and- which is crazy. Like, yeah. You can find the six best players on the Braves, and they're probably making that combined. But the um, right now, or I need to see it to believe it. And I haven't yeah. seen it. Like, that I'll give the Mets a lot of credit. The Mets had a really good 150-game season last year. <laughs> and they just got – they legitimately just burnt out and played their best baseball in the middle of the season. Yeah. And, and it takes a special – it takes a special approach, a special group of guys, and a special coaching staff to get the best out of your guys at the end of 162 and into the playoffs. And it, 
especially in such a big series like the Braves. Yeah, are. I I think it's gotten to be the case where it used to be all about experience. I think it's a lot more about having some young life in the locker room now. And I'm not sure that the Mets still have. I don't think the Mets have that. That being said, will they be a playoff team? I 100% expect yeah. that again because they have a good coach and they have one of, if not the most talented rosters in baseball. They have I, – I think you could say they have a more talented roster than the Braves. Um, I don't think they're a better team necessarily, but I think you would say they have a more talented roster. I'd agree with that. And you talk about the lack of youth. I mean, Pete Alonso is entering his fifth season. Yeah. As for DeGrom, that was an interesting one. I, I didn't have Texas on the top of the list, but I never bought into the Atlanta hype. I never thought that that was a move Atlanta was going to be willing to make. Are you happy they didn't make it? Uh, for that money, yeah. Okay. I didn't. I. I honestly, everybody hated the Sean Murphy move in Atlanta. Not hated. There were a lot of fans of it, but I think. The Braves got another really good, really young, talented star that's in the and is about to hit his prime in the next few years. And the catcher spot wasn't served up for the long time future. And that's what the Braves are trying to build at is a long time future here. I mean, Darno is past his prime. He's given the Braves a lot of good uh, games and they still have him to DH and play a little bit of catcher. Um, Contreras was going to be good. But you, you see what they did. They trained away Contreras, and they got a better player. Yeah. Um, and I think that probably sealed the deal on Dansby Swanson not coming back. Yeah. I think. We'll see. I, I would be pretty shocked if Swanson's back in Atlanta next year. But I'm okay with that. I hope he doesn't. I need him in, New in-, I need him in Boston. I don't think he's going to Boston. I, I think he's going to Chicago. But that's the, that sounds right because of uh, yeah. Mallory Pugh, too. She plays for yeah. Chicago's yeah. WSL team. Yeah, but like, I think that what'll happen is they, they'll move on Grissom to short and they'll be perfectly fine. So I, I was very happy with the fact that they did not get DeGrom. I think they have enough pitching for right now, at least in the starting rotation. They got Ian Anderson hope, hopefully coming back. Um, then I didn't think they needed to go spend that on the ground. Go spend it on other guys. Here we go with yeah. the rest of the MLB offseason. Let's move yeah. into football. Matt Patricia, really? Andrew, he's drawn a multitude of local and national criticism over the past few weeks, stemming back from the Bills Thursday night game and Mac Jones getting into shouting matches with him. And Mac has every right to be frustrated, you know. Yep. I mean, Throwing a screen pass to a running back that is inept in the passing game on third and ten only gets so old so quickly. It's, Andrew, a, it's a good thing the Celtics are good, or else Liam would be down bad right now. The Bruins are the Bruins are the top team in the NHL yeah, too. The Bruins and the Celtics are keeping you alive. But I mean, somehow, some way, Andrew, the Patriots are still in the thick of the playoffs. Somehow, somehow they got a better record than every team in the NFC South. <laughs> <laughs> bless her. Yeah, bless um, you. It's it's me. unbelievable. It's it's unbelievable, it really is, because watching this team try to move the football. Yeah, it's, it's not been pretty ugly. 
Yeah, it's an offense that can't do anything. But, like, they still managed to win some football games, and they're right in that playoff hunt for a wild card spot. And once you get in the playoffs in the NFL, like, you know, it's all game. you need to do. All you need to do. Look at the Bengals last year. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. The Patriots definitely miss Tom Brady. Um which is crazy to say at his age, but I think they yeah. would still be a much better team with Tom Brady right now than without him. Um, so, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that the Patriots will make the playoffs. I just don't think they have quite enough uh, star power and explosiveness offensively. But if they do, I think it's a team that you got to watch out for. Um Belichick. I like where the Belichick. NFL is at right now, though. I like where the NFL has, is because it's so much turnover. I know. And teams that were terrible two years ago are some of the best teams now. And it's the kind of thing where, you know, the Rams won a Super Bowl last year and aren't going to make the playoffs. And the entire division over – in uh, the NFC West with the Seahawks and the Cardinals is just constantly flipping. Yep. And the Raiders all of a sudden stink. And the Lions the are – and, and the Lions are competing for a playoff spot. Like, it's fantastic in my opinion what's happening in the NFL right now. A lot of I fun. Agree. To I agree. You love to see some parity per se. Yep. And I think that's – Part of what we're getting with Brock Purdy as the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. Trey Lance goes down early. Jimmy Garoppolo went down a few weeks ago. Now you're bringing in the literal Mr. Irrelevant of the 2020 yep. draft. And he's played well. Granted, he yeah. has plenty of yeah. seasons around him. Kittle, McCaffrey, Debo when he gets healthy again. Yeah, it's a team that has what it takes to win already, so he got put into a good spot. It's much better that there then you know you get drafted to a bad team and are forced to start there right um so that's been helpful for him but yeah no i i for what they got last pick of the draft i, I don't think you can complain right now no. right now if you're uh san francisco with what purdy's giving you no you absolutely cannot because when you have a team like the 49ers loaded pretty much everywhere, it yeah. lessens the importance of good quarterback play. Not to say it's not important, but you bring him in, it reshapes your offensive dynamic. Yeah. So with that, I think the McCaffrey trade may have been the spark that shot the 49ers from good to great. And it's shown in their play over the last few weeks. Already clinched up the NFC West with more than a few weeks left in the season. I mean, they dispatched the only team that was within an earshot of them last week. So, down the stretch, Purdy's play is important, but not super important, if you get what I mean. Yeah, no, I think it's more important about teaching him things for the playoffs, right? Yeah. Like I, I, yes, it's important to win games still, like to get yourself home field advantage and all and whatnot, but like – I think it's more important for him to learn those lessons that you'll learn as a rookie quarterback before the playoffs. I think that is a perfect way of putting it. Let's talk about the Vikings. They're 10-3. and three. 
but their point differential would not lead you to believe that. I believe they have a negative point differential right now. I think that's right. And they're 10 and 3. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, they lose to Detroit last weekend, and they had the living bejesus one out of them not a few not too long ago against the Dallas Cowboys, which is absolutely unacceptable. Minnesota is 10 and 3 and has a point differential of minus one. Yep. Second in the NFC. I don't want you to take them as legit right now. No. No, I, I think they're uh, maybe win one playoff game. That's it. I don't think that's a like, good team. Like When you look up and down the NFL, I think you can name eight teams that are better than that. Um, only only I one. Brock, per- I think a Brock Purdy-led Niners team is still better than them. I think the Eagles are better than them. I think the Cowboys are better than them. I think the Lions right now are better than them. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think they're okay. I think they're taking advantage of a weak division and a weak NFC as a whole. Um, but, no, I think they're frauds. Only one of their wins this season was by multiple points, and it was the first week of the season. That's crazy. The Green Bay Packers. That's crazy. Green Bay is terrible. And you talk about them being worse than Dallas and Philly. Both of those teams embarrassed them on national television at one point in the season. Yep. So yep. you can't put stock in them. You, you just can't. And then elsewhere, like, do I see this team competing with or losing to Detroit, who may be the seventh seed? Potentially, even if it's at home. I know Detroit beat them in, in Michigan last week, but – I think they will. Detroit's a fun team to watch right They're now. They're a very fun team. One of the best teams at Adam the Clark. One of the best teams at the moment in the NFL. Absolutely. And we talked about Detroit. Good way to shift into the NFC wildcard race because wild is, I think, a word that can be used to describe it. If we pull yep. up the settings for clarity, you have Dallas – they appear to be all but locked in at 10 and 3 right now. Unless yeah. unless Philadelphia collapses, Dallas will be the five seed. Then they basically the are already. Almost. Yeah. And you have the Giants and Commanders at six and seven, both with records of seven, five, and one. And you have Seattle at seven and seven, and Detroit knocking on the door at six and seven. Barring another tie, and we'll get into that in a minute. One of Washington or New York will lose this weekend. And Detroit has the Jets. What a week. Detroit's going to be half a game out of the playoffs at the end of this week. That's – I agree. Hopefully. I, they're a team that you want to cheer for. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a fascinating playoff picture where, you know, Tampa Bay is a four seed right now and not even would be in there in the wild card spot. Yep. Um, talk about a terrible division. The NFC South stinks. The Falcons are one game out of first place, and they're starting Desmond Ritter this weekend. Like, what a world we live in right now in the NFC South. But it reminds me of a couple years ago when the Panthers got in uh, below 500 out of the NFC South. But They won a playoff game that year, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They did. Um, Yeah, I think the NFC is – it's so weird because, like, Green Bay currently not in. New Orleans, currently not in. The Rams, currently not in. Like, those are some of your perennial powers in the NFC. 
Uh, and then you talk about the Commanders and the Vikings and other teams like that, the Buccaneers, all looking at playoff spots right now. That's what we're talking about, parody in the NFL. It's really cool. All the teams we expected to be good in the NFC coming in yeah. have been dog water. They've stuck, and there's no other way around it. Yeah. The only teams in the NFC I think we can take for legit right now are the Philly Niners. and Francisco. And Dallas. Eh, I would take Dallas for real. I know they didn't play well last week, but like I think it's a good team. It's a good team, but one that has never been past the NFC division around, at least recently. It's fair. It's fair. So, like, yeah, you have plenty of talent, but I want to see it from Dallas to believe it. Yeah. You know I mean. yeah. Let's get into our big games of the week. Not too yeah. long from now, Houston and Virginia, a five versus two matchup in college basketball. Oh. Tip off from John Paul Jones Arena at two o'clock. I've got the Cavs winning this game. I think the Cougars are a bit overrated. I mean, the line of two and a half in favor of the UH is disrespectful to a UVA squad playing ridiculously good basketball right now. I think the Cavs bringing most of their guys back. They have that chemistry. They also have a little something extra to play for. I think they win the national championship this year. I don't know about that, but give me the Cavaliers in this one as well. Houston's a really good team, and it's a a top three, four seed in March Madness good, but Virginia at home – that defense under Tony Bennett is once again what it used to be. Yeah. Houston's not going to score more than 55 points in this game, probably. Low scoring, grinded out battle, and Virginia walks away winners, I believe. I believe that to be true as well. It'll be a snowy Saturday night in Buffalo, when the, or Orchard Park, I should say, when the Bills welcome the Dolphins to Highmark Stadium. Andrew, you've probably seen pictures at this point. Snow, I, I mean, you're in Syracuse right now. Snow I is am. down there at a massive rate. Buffalo's yep. not too far from there. And it's it's going to be a – feels like what will be a classic game tonight, Andrew. Yeah, we got like 8, 10 inches of snow here in Syracuse. I'm guessing they probably have more from looking at the pictures over in Absolutely. Buffalo. And so it's still, snowing, it's still snowing there right now. And yeah, Lake Effect warning doesn't expire until 1 o'clock tomorrow. Looks wow. like we might get some showers around kickoff too. So, wow. we talked about Tua in cold weather. Here's his chance to sort of like. How about Mike McDaniel and his outfit this week? Oh, that's going to be fun. Uh, by the way, it sounds like I got out of Syracuse at the right time. Apparently. That side, I think, I think Buffalo wins this one. Miami. I think, so too, and I think the weather probably plays into it. Oh, absolutely. Like, Miami can't be, it has to be one of the worst teams prepared to go play in the snow game. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's always fun to watch snow, snow football games, though, so I'm excited. That it, that it is. We end the Giants and the Commanders Sunday Night Football, a huge one. Both teams 7-5-1. Yeah. The game is being played in Landover at FedEx Field, and I think that does just enough to propel the Commanders to victory. Give me a tie. No shot. Not again. Give me a tie. I don't think there's like literally nothing in my mind that separates this. I agree. I agree. Both of these teams are mediocre, but there's just no way a tie happens two games. Give me another. Give me another tie. All right, there you go. What a banger way to end your second appearance on this show, Andrew. Thanks for rejoining. Appreciate it as always, Liam. A pleasure. With Andrew Selver, I'm Liam Griffin.
Follow us on Instagram at Full Court Press Podcast and on Twitter at Full CP Podcast. That's F U L L C P Podcast. And if you want to be an Andrew share, get in contact with me. We'll make it happen. Due to the holiday season, it's going to be a little different. We normally post on Saturdays. We'll post on December 23rd and December 30th down the line to accommodate for the Christmas Eve, Christmas Day weekend, and the New Year's Eve, New Year's Day weekend. We haven't seen that in a while, have both Eve and Day lie on the same weekend. It should be a great holiday season. A happy Hanukkah to all who celebrate, and we'll see you next week.